Welcome, everyone, once again to Run Out Radio. Hello, I'm Jerry Forsythe, and I am joined again by Mike Howerton. And this week, we're going to have the managing editor of Billiards Digest, Mason King, is joining us. Mason, are you on the line? I am. Hey, we're going to talk about the top stories in pool for 2007. And 2007 was, after all, shall we say, an interesting year. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, oh, man. I do. I have no basis of comparison for this kind of year. I mean, so many things happened uh, in the pool community, in the pool industry. Uh, there was so much change, and uh, quite a bit of it uh, sort of troubling change. This is going to go down, I think, as, as really one of the key transition years, I think, for the sport and for the industry. Yeah, uh, transition. I'm just not sure whether we're going into the light or away from it. Um, let's face it, the IPT nearly died. We, we we had the dirt going into the grave, and then they decided to come out and put on a, a challenge match, which, you know, going from the world's biggest tournament promoter to being a um, fiscally challenged um, Internet uh, provider, <laughs> not sure where we are there with that. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you, you, you've got to you gotta give them a little credit, and we'll get to this a little, a little later on. The fact that the APT is still around, uh, it's pretty amazing, and I, I think uh, in many ways could be considered a credit to uh, the guys who are still holding down the fort there. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, Kevin Trudeau really is, is even involved in running this tour now, I, I think, at a very limited level. Um, so uh, it's really one of the more intriguing stories. But I'll tell you, this is the end of the year for us, and of course we're working on our uh, year-end awards for 2007. We annually pick players of the year. We've got a couple of those, and Sounds okay with you guys. Let's uh, go over the stories of the year, including a couple other uh, interesting topics that we've been writing about over the last uh, last 12 months or so. I was wondering if anybody can guess who the female player of the year is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I don't have to guess because I chose it, but um, of course it's Allison <laughs> Fisher. This is Allison's 11th uh, player of the year nod, from Billiards Digest at least, in the last 12 years. And... Uh, this is pretty well-worn territory now, both for us and for her. She comes, she plays, she conquers. Uh, this year was, was a little bit different for her in that she crossed the 50-win mark on the Classic Tour, uh, and I believe she now has 51 titles. She won three of the eight this year in the Classic Tour points events. The, uh, <clears throat> the dynamic is pretty similar to what she's done in the past, where it looks like maybe at the beginning of the season, she and some of the other established names are kind of washed up. They don't chart very high. And then they put it on here, the last uh, four or five events, and there you go, Allison Fisher. Once again, the player of the year. It's, uh, it's like watching Jordan in his prime. I mean, there's really nothing to compare it to. Uh, and quickly, I'll move over to, to the guy's story. And again, this will be no uh, surprise to anyone who's been keeping track of pool in America this year. It's young Shane Van Boning, uh, fellow in his early 20s, uh, who uh, has sort of been, been percolating for the last couple of years. And then finally last year decided that he was going to uh, make his living playing tournament pool instead of uh, action. And uh, it fairly well overwhelmed all of the American competition and charted very well against uh, the rest of the players in the world. He won the uh, aptly named Predator World 10-Ball Championship in May. He came in second at the EnjoyPool.com uh, 9-Ball Open to uh, Dennis Reculio. Uh, came in second in the World Summit of Pool versus Alex Patty Lyon in June. And then uh, his big win of the year, winning the U.S. Open Nine Ball Championship in October, taking home $50,000, beating 
at that time, current world champion Ronnie Elcano twice uh, in the event. Really, uh, really kind of a trial by fire for uh, Shane on that one. And then finishing the year with uh, the Greeno Open win against Johnny Archer. So congratulations to Shane. Uh, I know a, a lot of us think that he is probably the best thing to come around in American Pool in a long time. I would agree with that. Um, you know, when you look at, at the year that Shane had, my thoughts immediately run to the dominating year that Corey had four or five years ago when it seemed like he was winning every tournament out there. How do you think that dominating performance from Corey compares to what Shane has done this year? Both had extremely impressive years. Um, Corey seemed to be not as hot and cold as Shane. Corey was hot the entire year. Uh, Shane fell down a couple of times this year. He fell down at the World Championship. But, you know, the thing that impresses me most about Shane, that no one, Corey or any other player, uh, can beat him on, I think, is attitude. He's got a great attitude for this game that's going to keep him in good stead for a long, long time. He's not going to be a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. The kid has a killer instinct like nobody's business right now. And every time he gets a table, he expects to win, which uh, I mean, doesn't seem like a lot perhaps to some people, but it's vital. At this level, the game is primarily mental, and he has got his mental game in gear. And uh, when he gets to that table, he expects to win, and, and now more often than not, he is. Recently, you know, we were we were all together at Moscone Cup, and Shane was there, and and Shane was on the team that did not come out on the winning side of that. But I'm always going to wonder, with momentum being such a big key at that event, how much things would have been different had Shane been thrown out there playing singles and had an opportunity to really show his stuff and give some some W's over to the, the American team earlier than he was able to. I wonder if if things might have been different. You know, it's interesting. I was down in the in the players' lounge on the day before the last day. They were uh, Captain Kim Davenport for America was setting uh, his lineup for the final day, and at that point, America was down what three or four games. Uh, and what was interesting to me is that to a man who was down there at the time, the American team was all about sending Shane out there first. The American players on that team, and you know, there's no lack of guys who think they can play there, wanted Shane to anchor that spot. Uh, and Shane actually, at the time, was a little bit uneasy about that, but he, in the end, sort of talked himself into it and accepted it, and he went out there and he got the win. I think he could have done that earlier had he not been been thrown out there in the pairs matches, but then again, you know, Kim had his ideas as to how he wanted to do that, and Right or wrong, what's done is done. You know, I would like to go back to uh, the Allison Fisher thing. I, I found it extremely interesting that we started out the year and it looked like the Asian invasion was going to rule the women's game out of nowhere. I mean, Ga Young and Xiaoting Pan, they played in the first event with Ga Young winning and then Xiaoting won the next one and then, you know, Kelly Fisher won. But what was interesting is the Asian players while they certainly had a good year, there was only one more final match after that second tournament that even had one Asian player in it when uh, Allison beat Guy Young in Florida. And it just seemed like, it always seems like Allison's got just a little something in reserve and and she can bring it out when she needs to, which has got to be scary to the other players. That's a, that's a good point. We started the year, I think, with a, with a story. If it wasn't called the Asian Invasion, it was something really close. We featured uh, Pan and Guy Young. I think some of the differences there, uh, for example, uh, Guy Young 
probably plays a little bit more on emotion than she can afford to. When she's hot, she plays as well as anybody, and she has some fantastic, fantastic uh, shot-making skills. A great part because uh, she has an excellent three-cushion background. And Pan is obviously a fantastic young player who technically is as good as about anybody you'll ever see. But the thing that Allison has, um, as much or more than anybody, uh, mental toughness and consistency. And, and again, at this level, that is what separates you from the rest of the pack. And what I'm curious, Mason, is what are you going to do for Player of the Year 2008? If, it, if 2008 continues the trend of 2007, they're not going to be enough tournaments for you to pick a player of the year. <laughs> well, that, that's pretty interesting. What do you think about that, Mike? You uh, obviously follow the, uh, the tournament circuit in great detail. Uh, what did we see this year? Well, I mean, there did seem to be a decline in uh, in the tournaments out there. I mean, we lost Glass City, which I mean, we'd lost that event before, and then it was resurrected. Um, you know, it seems like there's more and more regional tours out there, but even the regional tours have been suffering lately as as room owners are starting to feel that they can field a tournament with the same sizes as these regional tours without the added money that goes hand-in-hand with bringing a a regional tour in there. And then not to mention that there was some bickering going on between some of the regional tours, which I really don't want to get into at the moment. But, you know, all these guys are are running these tours, and and they say that they're running it because they love the game of pool. Boy, if the industry had a dime for every person who said they were doing something because they loved the game of pool, we'd all be rich. (laughs) Boy, no kidding. Yeah. You know, these guys say that they're doing it for pool, and I think maybe some of them should take a step back and remember that they are doing it for pool. They're not doing it to, you know, prop up their ego or create their own little fiefdom. But uh... actually, real quick, let me let me let me back up just for a second because I got a great statistic for you regarding the the lack of of money that was headed into at least the pro circuit this this last year. There was a gigantic dead spot on the calendar. Actually, a couple of gigantic dead spots. This was the biggest one. Between the dates of June 24th and September 30th, there was exactly one non-invitational pool tournament that had a prize fund with more than $10,000 added. Wow. And, I mean, as long as I've been here, that's been a first. Well, and, and I don't know this for sure, but I do feel strongly that the IPT, at least to some degree, had an effect on that. Um, I mean, we're, we're kind of looking at the same type of situation right now with this recent announcement from the NACPBA about what they're going to do. And the comment has even been made by these gentlemen that, you know, they want to do a research and development thing, and they're going to come out and they're going to try to find out something, if, if something is feasible, uh, promoting the game. And they've made the comment, hey, if we come out and if we discover that, that it really doesn't work, well, then we can go away, no harm, no foul. But it's no harm, no foul to them. It's not no harm, no foul to the game itself. I know for a fact that there are promoters who are interested in coming into the U.S. and running fairly major events, but who wants to start up a new event if someone's talking about throwing $20 million at the sport? So they're going to back off and they're going to wait and see what happens with the NACPBA, just like they backed off and waited to see what was going to happen with the IPT. And when the IPT turned south... What, what did the game have? The game had nothing. Sure, Kevin Trudeau has put a lot of money, and, and he made good on a lot of those promises, but that didn't help the game itself. 
uh, a good example of that, I think, is uh, the Reno Open, you know, which for many, many years has been a, a, uh, a tournament you could count on twice a year, the June event and the December event. Well, as it happened with a lot of events uh, a couple of years ago when the IPT showed up, like the two million pound gorilla, and sort of threw his weight around and said, you know, we're just going to schedule our events and you all, everybody else has to move. You know, I know a lot of promoters got, got gun-shy about uh, scheduling their events, and the Reno Open, specifically the folks at uh, the Sands Regency, were worried about predatory scheduling. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why they decided that uh, they were going to cancel the June Reno event. And, you know, the summer is not, <laughs> is not a particularly good time for tournament pool. And the fact that we're losing an event in June, uh, you know, a you know, quality pro event for these guys, uh, is a big loss. And, you know, one of the reasons why is because, you know, the IPT came along and, and said, you know, everybody get out of the way. Well, we can't be Pollyanna about the situation. It's going downhill. Uh, if if America is sliding into a recession, it's going to get worse. And in, in the industry, we've already seen AMF go out of business. They were a big gun for a while. And uh, the industry's getting smaller. It's not getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that to me is one of the biggest uh, stories of this year, uh, industry-wide, and everything really that we've been talking about up until this point in some way relates to how poorly the billion industry is doing right now, and w- which we can connect to a lot of different things. Uh, one, the housing market falling apart uh, has been a huge factor. I know a lot of uh, retailers are worried about how that's affecting their table sales. And also sort of a change in the way that people are thinking about recreation. And when young folks have money right now, they are uh, primarily interested in buying with these, uh, with these funds uh, electronics. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw a quick statistic at you. This was a great example of that. The uh, Bill of Congress America did a very interesting consumer study uh, at the middle of the year, and they found when they talked to these consumers, 7% of these consumers were interested in looking to buy a pool table versus 31% who are in the market for high-definition television. Right. So consumer electronics definitely is crowding out, uh, you know, those recreation dollars. Yeah, and so and when the billiard industry uh, struggles, uh, there is less money that they can pour into uh, tournament promotion, which is one of the reasons why we've seen fewer events this year, or events with, with less money, for example. It's one of, not only one of the reasons why uh, we are seeing fewer events with, with less prize money this year, dot, dot, dot. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why uh, some of Americans, America's top echelon players right now are sort of ignoring the tournament circuit because they need to get out there and make a real living. And I'm talking specifically about guys like Johnny Archer, who uh, became a partner with Kim Davenport in the uh, Atlanta area pool room this year. Like Rodney Morris, uh, who actually is now working in the beverage business, <laughs> developing his own uh, brain of tequila and sports drinks. Uh, right. It's you know this is a significant thing for for American pool when your best players, uh, for the most part, you know can't make a living you know doing what they love. I think you can certainly look to the recession and and the consumer electronics thing, but I still have to look at the industry itself and just I can't get away from the thought that the the movers and shakers in the industry are shooting themselves in the foot and shooting the game in the foot by not coming together. If, if the industry could come together in some way, like other countries have done to support their billiards, and I don't expect in any way for the U.S. to have a youth program like 
Taipei or anything like that, but there's just no organization. I mean, the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. As far as that goes, none of the fingers on any of the hands know what each other are doing, and they're certainly not working towards a common cause. Everyone seems to be wanting to run at 100 miles an hour in a direction they choose, but unfortunately it looks like everyone's running in a different direction. You know, it goes back to the old analogy that everyone's so busy wanting to get their piece of the pie that no one's willing to put any effort towards making the pie any larger, and that doesn't seem to be changing. Yeah, but you know what? The good thing about that is that's only happening in America. The game's gone to hell in America, but overseas it's flourishing. It's it's huge. You've got you've got the Guinness tour going on. You've got Dragon Promotions. Charlie Williams is doing wonderful things in South Korea. We all know Yen Macabenta. He's having great success with the BSCP, uh, developing his own tour, the San Miguel tour, and doing all of the things he's doing in the Philippines and around Asia. You know, it's it's only in America that the game is is doing so bad. It's going to be quite a transition from the time that the foreign players had to come over to America to make a living playing pool, and it just seems like we're moving towards a time where the American players have to go overseas to make a living playing the game. Yeah, very quickly. And, yeah, that leads us right to the World Pool Championship, which uh, now for the second year in a row took place in Manila, uh, Philippines. Uh, the second year that Yen Nakabento's group, uh, Raya Sports, hosted the event. And... Uh, you know, it took place in the Araneta Coliseum, the uh, the famed locale of the Ali Frazier fight some, what, 25 years ago, uh, the Thrilla in Manila. We were all there. Uh, number one, what did you guys think about the event? And, uh, and number two, talk a little bit about the soft-breaking controversy, which really is sort of spilled out uh, into the pool world as a whole. It's been a really pretty serious issue. Well, for the second year in a row, uh, only one North American made it into the top 16, which tells you a great deal about pool internationally it's uh, the, the the pool stars of america are not of, of the future are not going to have american names you've got these programs that we've touched on briefly in taiwan and china and uh, vietnam and the philippines where the youth of that country uh, can take billiards of those countries can take billiards as their phys ed course and in taiwan they can play over a dozen hours a week uh, with a coach, so yeah, they're they're getting a, this huge head start, and it's massively popular over there. As far as the world championships and the and the uh, soft breaking, um, well, my opinion on it is is pretty well known already. I think it's pretty much killed nine ball that south that soft break. It's uh, um, the world is already moving toward ten ball. Uh, that that soft break uh, in We'll give the credit for it to Corey Deal. It worked, and it really made the game boring. And I have to agree. I, I was that was my first World Championship, and as far as the tournament itself goes, I thought it was put together great. Um, Matchroom, of course, does an amazing job at those events, but the tournament yeah. itself, except for a few uh, shining moments. Uh, Anything with Jeff DeLuna was fun to watch. Um, the controversial match between uh, Daryl Peach and Francisco Bustamante was certainly interesting. That's a moment I won't soon forget. Um, and the finals were very interesting to watch, but as a whole, I thought the tournament was a little less than what I expected, and you have to put it on the soft break. And, you know, I, 
I have to be honest, this is just my opinion, but I've made it clear on, on this show before that tournament promoters should understand who they are and, and what, what it is that they do. Um, I've said before that Barry Berman shouldn't have to pad the, the first place prize money because this is the U.S. Open. I mean, he doesn't have to, to rely on gimmicks to make the event into something special. It is something special. And I think Matchroom kind of dropped the ball at the World Championships when they tapped the balls in and they said they were doing it so that the players would not complain about the racks. This is Matchroom Sports, and this is the World Championship of Nine Ball. They shouldn't be worrying about the players whether they're going to complain about the racks. If the players want the, the ability to play in this event, they just need to get up there and play Nine Ball and not worry about whether they like or dislike the racks. Matchroom is not going to cheat them on racks, but Matchroom played the safe route, and I think that had something to do with this controversy gaining momentum. Well, it was everyone... Everyone contributed to the tapping of the balls. The people that got listened to were matchroom and, and let's just say promoters and referees. I don't know how many referees I've had tell me that they have to tap, tap the balls so that the players don't complain about the racks and scream at them. So it's the safest thing to do is to tap the balls so that I'm giving up a perfect rack. And the players, well, none of them want a mud rack. Right, so they all want this super tight rack. So, so they go for the tapping of the balls, or a great number of them go for the tapping of the balls. But nobody is asking the fans how they feel about it. No one's asking the sponsors how they feel about sponsoring television with soft brakes. <laughs> and those are two big, big facets of the game that are being ignored. And I think those two facets of the game will take us away from Nambo. I think the fans are going to demand not to watch Nambo. Now, Matchroom's uh, approach to fixing this problem, which we saw at the Moscone Cup, uh, I mean, literally just weeks after the Whirlpool Championship, was to, what, move the nine ball onto the spot? Am I correct? Yes. And also require uh, that the uh, players break from the box. Is that correct? Yep. And uh, that three balls make it back up to the kitchen on the break. Was that the correct solution? Well, I mean, what's next? What's the next gimmick we throw in there? You have to break with a parrot standing on your head? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why are we having all these gimmicks? Why yeah. don't... <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you gimmick the game up. I mean, the, very clearly, the rules of nine balls state one ball goes on the spot. So what are we playing now? If we're not playing the game according to the rules of nine ball, what are we playing? Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll, throw, a, I'll throw another curveball into it. Take a look at the U.S. Open. South break wasn't really a problem there, was it? Why is it different at the U.S. Open? Uh, I don't think they tapped the balls. I'm positive they didn't tap the balls. Uh, they were using, uh, what was it, the chameleon rack? Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't tap the balls. Um so you had gaps between balls, and you had to slam those balls to get them to come apart, mm. which is like it was in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> well, plus matches were running till three or four in the morning, and the players didn't have enough energy to <laughs> to think too much about what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Louis Ulrich was trying to hold himself up when he was breaking. Uh huh. Yeah, and let's let's give Louis Ulrich a little bit of love here uh, towards the end of the discussion. Here's a guy that pretty much just came out of nowhere, and maybe. Arguably, was the second best American pool player of the year. 
I thought Louie and Stevie Moore were both great stories. Uh, it's just a shame that, you know, this is the game, you know, this is the time that they're deciding they want to give up uh, being road warriors and, and trying to make it as a tournament player, and, and now they may have to go overseas to do it. So let's hit on a couple other topics that I know we're going to address here in Billiards Digest. First off, here's kind of a tough one. Uh, a lot of the, the changes that the WPBA has made in the women's tour uh, this year, I know that the, you know a lot of them, I guess, tough in the media, and you know what do we know, uh, don't make a whole lot of sense. Let's just see how boring we can make the woman's game, right? Let's put in alternate break, and <laughs> let's 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 play round robin. I mean, it's let's face it, it's all the same problem. They're they're trying to have someone else show up on TV on Sunday that's not <laughs> that's not British or Irish, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they're having a hard time doing it. And I don't I don't really I don't care what kind of machinations they go through until until Allison retires she's going to be the star on Sunday this, I mean they've, they've, this, the single elimination now for what the final 16 yeah yeah that's right yeah, they went from a, a pure double elimination to uh, a double elimination up to the final 16 which then becomes single elimination well see there you go now now somebody maybe has the chance to knock Allison and Karen out of the tournament before the TV rounds Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of those cases where the WPBA better watch what they're wishing for because they just might get it. Uh, you wind up with two, um, shall we say, lesser players on your TV rounds, and you're not going to have a happy audience either. And, uh, of course, this year the WPBA changed their points system. Uh, I think they made it a bit more equitable uh, between the uh, between the, the places, but they also sort of – strangely uh, sort of magnified the number. They made the number look bigger. So instead of having 1,000 ranking points, now you have, what, 20,000 ranking points? <laughs> and how much of a difference did it make to who was in the top 16? I, you got me. And then, and then uh, my understanding um, is that at the beginning of this next season, they're going to zero out uh, the rankings and start from scratch, which again I think sort of unfairly penalizes these people who, uh, up until that point, had you know earned top rankings. It's just mysterious to me. I just don't get it. Well, I mean, on the one hand, they want to <clears throat> they want to promote better play at the tournaments themselves, and and I understand there's talk about cutting back to a 48 player field again, which all three of us know from from playing in and from covering tournaments, you can't have a 48-player field without some buys. So now we're going to go back to the idea of the top 16 players getting buys, which I think is a horrible idea. Um, They want to make it tougher for the up-and-coming players to make it onto the tour. So in effect, that's protecting the better players. But then you want to cut cut their legs out from under them by zeroing out the points list and making it easier for someone else to come in and be the number one player. It doesn't make sense to me, but I've never ran a tour that large before, so maybe they know something I don't know. Uh, There was a a little bit of good news uh, this year. We can touch on briefly the uh, Sporting Good Manufacturers Association, uh, which we count on every year for uh, their annual surveys of uh, people who participate in sports and uh, to get our numbers on the amount of people who play pool in America, uh, revised their figures and changed the way that they do the polling. Hopefully it's more uh, accurate. But the, the number of pool players, or number of people, I should say, who play pool at least once a year 
change quite a bit. It uh, went from, I think, around 40 million to 47 million people a year in the United States. I know you guys may be a little suspicious of those numbers. Uh, what should we make of them? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, if you figure that you can put 100 players in the average pool room, if there are 5 million players in America, it would take 50,000 pool rooms to hold those people. Mm. Um, I don't think there are 50,000 pool rooms <laughs> in America. Uh, so <clears throat> I don't, I, I'm even suspect of the 5 million number, so much less 47 million. Now, like you say, if it's a person who has hit a pool ball in a year, uh, you know, maybe they've walked by a pool table in a furniture store and, and picked up the cue ball and rolled it down the table. I guess that makes them a pool player. I don't know. Uh, but I know that there aren't 47 million pool players that I've come across in any uh, given year. You know what just occurred to me? I wonder if people who play Yahoo Pool consider themselves playing pool. Pool players. <laughs> and that number actually would be pretty significant. God bless Yahoo Pool. And then another bit of news we didn't quite know what to make of, uh, a new group, really out of the blue. Uh, the I'm, I'm not even going to say this whole name because I don't even remember what it is, but the NACPBA, a group of people not really involved in the pool industry, but saying that they have access to just catastrophic amounts of money. I, I think um, we worked it out to, what, $70 million, uh, you know, raised their heads here over the last couple of months and said, hey, we're going to put on a, a tour for three years and, uh, and make everybody rich. And what's the latest on that? Well, I don't know what you've heard, Jerry. Um, I hear those numbers maybe uh, being lowered a little bit. Um, I think they're all kind of in a state of flux right now, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And, and I, I don't see anything wrong with, with stopping and making sure that you have some idea where you're going before you go there. That that would be a good thing here in the industry. Well, the, the, the thing is, though, they've already announced that they're not going to have their first big tournament until October. So once again, every promoter in the United States is going to be looking at that going, well, why should I bother? Yeah, they're going to be running scared, uh, worrying about what to do until October. And in a year, we're going to be talking about what depressing things happened in the game in 2008 because everyone's afraid to make a step. Yeah. Well, mm. and something else that that bothers I mean, I hate to go back and sound like a broken record, but a year ago we were talking about the IPT. Well, actually, two years ago we were talking about the IPT and how they were going to be the savior of the game. And prior to that, it was the Hilton Tour, and they were going to be the savior of the game. Why do we have to keep looking outside of the billiards industry for people who have no experience promoting this game to save this game? This is our game. Why can't the powers that are already in place, the BCA, here's three initials we haven't talked about all show, the UPA, why aren't these organizations coming forward and doing the things that this whole industry wants to seem to rely on outside people to do, and then they all sit around and say, well, I don't know what we're going to do now that that's failed. Well, they didn't have any idea what they were doing. I, I keep thinking about the BCA and the UPA, and what's the UPA, doesn't, they don't have any money to spend on tournaments. Uh, they don't have any money to do anything for the players. they got enough cash to start a magazine as if we didn't already have enough of those 
Well, I mean, Mason can, can tell us all about the huge amounts of money that there are to be made in the magazine business. <laughs> oh, let me tell you what. As I peer out from over my 50, 50th story <laughs> picture window onto the, uh, onto the paved streets of uh, Chicago, there's not a whole lot of money in publishing, guys. What, what is the mag- I, I'm totally lost here. What magazine are you talking about? The UPA recently announced in the past week, 10 days, that they were going to start a UPA magazine and uh, talk about news of UPA players and UPA events. Well, that is assuming that they do eventually they have, road, have UPA events. But what makes me wonder is, I mean, Mason, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. If you're going to run a magazine, and, and they're saying that they're going to send this magazine for free to members. So are they planning on making this advertiser-based, in which case now they're going to compete with the magazines that they've always had to rely on to promote their events, or are they going to take sponsor dollars that should have been earmarked to run tournaments and use that money to make to run this magazine? Either way, I, I don't see it as a, pl- a positive. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't know more about this. I didn't see this release. But uh, I, I would hope that they're planning on sending it to more than just their members. Uh, yeah, there's a lot wrong with that idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I I think that they probably need to have a very clear idea of what they're trying to accomplish, and and then who they're going to try to target as as, as subscribers, and where the money is going to come from. Right now, I would say split between the three major magazines in pool, uh, there are no more ad dollars. You know, I know the three of us are you know, and three of us meaning Billiards Digest, Inside Pool, and Pool and Billiard. I mean, it's a it's a war out there, and we know probably better than anybody else how little money there is right now for promotion in the industry because most uh, businesses you know, include their promotions and advertising budgets together, and it's it's just not happening right now. And for anyone else to come in with a new magazine uh, and expecting to you know be able to even to pay for printing costs uh, is a huge reach. If these guys are really just interested in spreading the word about UPA players, I mean, the obvious thing to do is to get on the internet. Uh, and send email blasts um, and do something you know professional looking uh, you could download um, i I certainly don 't see how anyone thinks they can make a whole lot of money right now in magazines, especially in the pool industry yeah, and they have a new website it looks very good. Um, I always wonder what happened to that original idea. Um, I remember talking to Charlie at the u s open back in o one and he was telling me that the UPA was going to be a player organization to represent the players to the tournament directors and the promoters out there. There's still a void for that sort of an organization, and there's the UPA wondering what they're going to be doing. It seems like a perfect fit, but I don't know that the powers that be are going to be willing to step back and not be what... Charlie turned the UPA into, which was a group to promote tournaments. And on the other hand, there's so little amount of money that it doesn't really, it doesn't really help to have a player organization if the players aren't going to support it. And they're not going to if people can come in with deep pockets. I mean, in in Asia, if the Asian group tells the players you're not playing in this event, they're not playing in that event. In America, even the WPBA, if they told their players, you are forbidden from playing, well, I mean, look at Lori John. Um, there was going to be a problem with the IPT, that challenge match, so Lori John quit the WPBA. And I'm not saying that's exactly why she quit, but 
there is no organization in America with a small amount of money floating around that has the power to say you can and cannot play in these tournaments. Well, I think the UPA's focus right now should be figuring out who they are. I mean, what is your what is your core competency, and what are you really going to try to accomplish, and work on that one goal. I mean, I think that the players what they want out of the UPA is events. You know, figure out how to stage some events with some prize money. I mean, that seems to me where they need to focus their efforts. And the farther they get away from that, from what the players want out of them, if that is indeed what the players want out of them, uh, the more irrelevant that group is going to seem. But are they willing to run tournaments at the same level? Or are they willing to run tournaments that are not huge events? Or has the IPT set the bar so high that no one is willing to come out and try to to borrow an expression from baseball, come out and try to hit a base hit and build on it, everyone wants to come out and hit a grand slam. I think there's some guys that they'll still try for singles. I hope so, because yeah. that's what we're going to need. Because yeah. yeah. we don't have any base runners right now. <laughs> that's right. Uh, wow. Well, we got a lot of work to do here in 2008, and, uh, and we'll be here to comment on it. Do you guys have anything else? No, I'm pretty dry. I think, <laughs> I think we just uh, covered it all. Let's go get uh, a stiff drink. That sounds yeah. like a plan. It is, it is New Year's Eve, by the way, for our readers who uh, may be listening a little bit late. Yeah, it's, as we are uh, recording this, it is oh, eight hours away from midnight. Yeah. Well, Happy New Year's uh, to everybody out there in the pool world and to you guys, too. Yep, and we will yeah. be back um, after Derby because uh, all three of us are going to the madhouse that is Derby City. But we promise we will be back right after Derby. And I promise for the next show we will not talk about the industry. We will bring a fun player on. And I guarantee my resolution is that for the first run-out radio next year, I will not complain about the billiards industry. <laughs> I'm not willing to go that far. <laughs> Sounds like a great guarantee. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you right after the Derby City with a, another episode of Run Out Radio.